say anything, are they? Huh? Oh, there are some Ram fans? Oh. Well, now I've got to figure out which page is first here. Um, how many of you could care less about anything happening this afternoon? Yeah, well, it's your day to travel. Uh, I learned some years ago that the freeways are empty on Super Bowl Sunday. So if you want a kind of out-of-body experience in Southern California, just drive this afternoon. And uh, it's, it's a very unique experience. So, Well, the church is such a unique place uh, because we can feel strongly about a football team and yet we come together and we recognize Jesus is more important and we worship together. And the same thing is true of political views. We can believe strongly about different political things and yet we come together and Jesus is greater. We can come from different vocations. We can come from different backgrounds. Some who have dug real deep holes in obvious sin and some who are really proud of never sinning and that's their worst sin. <laughs> and that may be worse than the other ones. Um, and we come together and the church is just such a unique place and I just, uh, I, I just grieve to see some of the things going on in our world in the sense of the great hurt that is brought. And at the same time, the, the beauty of the church is going to grow and stand out even as people mock it and hate it even more. And uh, boy, I've been praying for the governor of Virginia and uh, pray that he would get his ethical views right side up. But how he needs a Savior who will forgive the past. How he needs a Savior. Yeah who forgives and who we can move forward from. It doesn't mean there aren't consequences, but uh, I'm grateful that God doesn't keep bringing up my past. Aren't you? It's under the blood. And uh, what a redemptive, forgiving God that we have. So next Sunday, we're going to jump into a, a few weeks in the book of Proverbs. It's a book in the Bible with uh, really pithy, uh, short declarations of God's wisdom for everyday life. But this morning we want to kind of finish up our, our focus as we begin 2019 on our role of going and developing devoted followers of Jesus. Uh, this baton, so to speak, that God has put in every one of our hands who know Christ as our Savior. And we're making a particular emphasis upon developing and helping those who do not know God, uh, are mad at God today, angry at God, he's irrelevant, developing them into followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, because for many of us, that's who we were. And people came along and developed us, and now we know and love him, and now we look forward to the glories that we have reminded ourselves of this morning. So I want to begin in the passage that uh, we have been in for the last couple of weeks there in 2 Timothy. So grab a copy of the Scriptures, electronic, paper, or out of the pew in front of you. If you're using the Bible in the pew in front of you, there's the page number. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, 8 through 10, I'll read them. We're really focusing on the last part of verse 10 this morning. But let me read it together. Let me ask for God's help and uh, see how he might want to 
inform us a little bit further this morning in His great love and kindness. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning of verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things, for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory." Spirit of the living God, thank you for these words that you moved the Apostle Paul to write as he was sitting in prison two millenniums ago, and thank you for the way that you have used them in the years since, and thank you for how you're going to use them this morning in each of our lives. Thank you that you're good, that you are holy, and that you can do things with your truth that we desperately need, even if we don't know what it means, even if we don't know what that would look like. So we trust you more than ourselves. We trust your word to accomplish what you intended to in each of our minds and hearts today. And uh, we look forward to what, it, what that looks like and in our own responsiveness to it. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. I want to look at this last phrase at the end of verse 10. Why did Paul go through all of this that he was going through? And there's this phrase, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Uh, one of the things that happens when a person becomes a follower of Jesus is they want what they've experienced for other people to experience it as well. They want the richness of the love of God to be the experience of other people. I mean, you can't help but want people to experience this amazing gift of salvation that God has given us. And so that's what Paul says. So why in the world do I stay like a soldier in battle, not encumbered by the things of the world, getting shot at and wounded and beat up, so that others may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory? He would say, why should I self-discipline myself like an athlete in this world? What's the prize? So that others may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And why should I be like a hard-working farmer? Well, so that I can experience being a part of bringing in the crop which is others obtaining the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And so we've looked at how some of the hows of do that. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Remember and take the gospel as our gospel. Let it be the thing that pulses in our life. And remember, people can attack us, they can cuss us out, they can call us criminals, they can throw us in jail, but the Word of God that we share cannot be stopped. It will accomplish the purpose for which God intends it. And so we do all of that so that others might obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. There is just something to beat within the Apostle Paul's heart 
about wanting other people to experience this. Go back to the first letter of Timothy. So flip back to the book before this and look at verse 15. He says, it's a trustworthy statement. In other words, you can, you can stake your life on this. You can die on this hill. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. That is a trustworthy statement. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. He didn't come just to be a good teacher. He didn't just come to be a good example. He came into this world to save sinners. And the Apostle Paul says, and I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm the foremost of all. I've thought a lot of lately about how the things you argue about as brothers and sisters in Christ changes from what we used to argue about as pagans. One of the things that we argue about as brothers and sinners, is who's the worst sinner? Who's the worst sinner? I could be talking to Ed, and I'm going to say, Ed, I'm a worse sinner than you are. And he's going to say what? No, you're not. I'm a worse sinner than you are. If you grew up in a Christian home, you should be arguing the same thing. Oh, maybe you didn't do the same things, but your pride is worse it's just what we argue about is different. You get into amongst Christian families and you argue about who's most blessed. No, I'm more blessed to be married to you. No, I'm more blessed to be married to you. We argue about different things, right? Or we should be. Maybe some of you are getting a little needle right now. But the things we argue about should change. And one of the things we argue about is who's the worst sinner. Do you realize how much that changes our perspective on life? We quit pointing one finger at them and saying, you're the one who sinned. You're the one who hurt me. You're the one who did this. And we start saying, oh, God, I'm the chief of all sinners. Whew! Thanks you that you came into this world to save sinners. Save sinners like me. We're going to conclude our time together this morning at the Lord's table. This table is only for people who know that they're great sinners and know that Christ is a great Redeemer. That's the point of this. That's the point of this. And so I hope you're not arguing about you're a worse sinner than I am. That's not Christian arguing. Christian arguing is I'm a worse sinner than you are. And Christ is a great Savior. He is a great Savior. And thus, Paul says, I want everybody to know this. I want other people to obtain this salvation. So this morning, I want to just talk about some of the practical ways we can be used by the Lord to help other people obtain the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And some of you know by now, I like mathematical equations. And so here it is. Our faithfulness plus their experiences, as God providentially determines. Sometimes they include physical miracles and those things. Sometimes it's just the organization of life. 
plus the Spirit's sanctification. Now that's a $10 word with a simple meaning. The Spirit's sanctification is when He takes someone who is not a follower of Jesus and He makes them a follower of Jesus. Someone who is separated from God and He puts them in a position where they are a full-fledged child of God. Something that was pagan and now is holy because they belong to the Lord. That's the Spirit's work. We read that in 1 Thessalonians last week in the verse that we read together. Our experience of that, or the individual's experience of that, is we become convinced. We become convinced that we're a sinner, that God is holy, He's righteous, and He's going to judge us, and we are in big trouble. Bigger trouble with Him than anything else this world has to offer. And then we hear the good news that Jesus Christ came and He lived and He was crucified to pay for our sins. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved from the wrath of God. You'll be saved. And so the experience is that that equals they believe, the individual believes, they repent, and they become a follower of Jesus. And now actually they go back to the top of the equation. Now, they have a calling upon their life to be faithful. And they have a calling to enter into people's lives in whatever their experiences are. And to participate and be a part of whatever the Spirit of God is doing in that individual's life so that other people might believe also. Now, it could be that this morning you're not a follower of Jesus, and we are very glad you're here. I just want you to know you're right in that middle part right there. You're right in the part where God is providentially orchestrating things in your life. It could be great success, but it's not filling the hole in your heart. And no matter what you get, it doesn't satisfy the longing of your heart. Could be a new marriage, could be having kids, could be a new job, could be a degree, could be a ton of money, could be any of those things. And God is just providentially providing things to say they're not enough. You have a deeper need. You need a Savior. It could be that your life is a disaster. It could be that you look back and, and you've gone down a lot of different paths of sin. And you might blame a whole bunch of people, but the reality is you were a participant in the carnage of lives destroyed along the pathway. And nobody has to tell you what a mess you are. Well, God is a great Savior, and He can meet you right where you are. What's the old saying? God's the God of the first chance and the second chance and the fat chance. <laughs> and so, if you're in there, then I trust that other believers are around you and they're loving you and they're sharing the good news of Christ with you. You're certainly hearing it this morning. And I pray that God will be setting you apart to himself. And I pray you're getting convinced. Getting convinced. I know it's kind of a miserable journey. I remember my journey. I can remember having heard the gospel in so many different ways, and I can remember being 
given the gospel, uh, well, uh, New Testament, and told to read the gospel of John. And I remember reading that, and I just, I just, it was so confusing to me. If I give up this, what am I really going to get? Where's this leading? And thankfully, the Lord didn't tell me I'd ever pastor. But there's, a, there's just a lot of angst, and I just want to tell you, give in fast to God. Give in fast. And become convinced. And put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But for those of us, what is our faithfulness who know Christ? What does our faithfulness look like? What is our faithfulness? I want to just give you a list of several things that I believe compromise our faithfulness to develop people who are not yet followers of Jesus to become devoted followers of Jesus. Uh, d- let's just say this one together. Look on the fields and see the harvest. Now, as we're living life, there's a lot of things to look at, right? There's a lot of things to look at. Um, there's a lot of things to talk about. There's a lot of things to notice. And, uh, and so, in your workplace, you may be noticing all the office drama. Or at school. Or wherever. I mean, look at our political situation. Look at what's going on in our nation. There's just all kinds of things to notice. But if you want to be faithful to God, what do we primarily need to notice? What do we primarily need to look on? Not just the fields, not just the world, but what? The fields and see what? See what? See the harvest. Not see how screwed up everybody is. I mean, that's a step in it. Not to see how stupid everybody is, but you. It's amazing how that one works out. No, to to look and to see the harvest. Because God is drawing people to himself, just like he did Paul, just like he did me, just like he did you. Some of them, through a Christian family, many are out of all kinds of backgrounds. And so we need to look and we need to see a harvest. The Apostle Paul, when he was in Corinth, I mean, he was seeing some fruit, he was taking some heat, but evidently, he started to get scared, and he's decided, he evidently started to think, I need to leave Corinth and move on. And it says in Acts 18, verse 9, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He said, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. What was he saying? He says, I have many people in this city. They don't know they're my people yet. They don't know that. There are many people at your job site. There's many people in your neighborhood that are gods. They don't know it yet. And so we need to not be afraid. We need to keep on speaking. We must not be silent. And so, look on the fields and see the harvest. See the harvest. Now, for some of you where the glass is always half empty, you'll just have to let God change your heart on this one. (laughs) Look on the fields and see the harvest. Second one, praise God, we have a life-changing good news. Is that true? I mean, we just sang about it. We read several scriptures 
Man, praise be to you. We're the only people on all the planet that only have a message of good news. Have you ever thought about that? Everybody else, if you push them, they have to apologize for what they're selling. There's shortcomings to it. There's no shortcomings to the gospel. None whatsoever. And so we should praise God. Man, we have life-changing good news. Uh, We're reading through the gospel of Mark as a family right now. And I mean, is there anything better than Jesus walking in and touching the dead girl and she comes to life? Do you know the good news that we have brings spiritually dead people to life? It's a greater miracle than that. Praise God. We have that good news. And so there's good news that's worth sharing. And we should pray. Not praying, hoping that God does something. Pray knowing that God is doing stuff. He is doing stuff. And so pray, just knowing that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are at work. And you know, I just, I would beg you to don't waste your prayers on arguing with God. I've done it enough in my life, I'll probably do it again, but what a waste of breath. Don't argue with God, well, Lord, I pray you'll send somebody else besides me. Uh, Lord, you just don't know my shortcomings. Yeah, he knows them better than you do. Just don't waste your time arguing with God. Just take, I can't do this, out of your vocabulary. Just take it out. God can use anything. He can use anybody. I mean, the scriptures are filled with that, and so is history. And so just take, I can't do this, out of your vocabulary And just pray, knowing the Father and the Son and the Spirit are at work. Thank Him that He's at work. Ask Him to help you see where He's at work. And then knock on the door. Knock on the door. Whoops. Where did we go here? Okay, sorry, I skipped this one. We'll do this one first since it's there. Live in Christ, filled with the Spirit. Bearing fruits of the Spirit. So pray knowing the Father, the Son, and the Spirit at work and live in Christ, filled with the Spirit, bearing the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, live a distinctive life. People will notice. When everybody else in the office is gossiping and saying, yeah, you should leave them, what a cruddy wife that is, when all that stuff's going on, live a distinctive life. Bear the fruits of the Spirit of unconditional love for people, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, self-control. I mean, you want to stand out? Just live in Christ, and He'll bear these fruits through your life, and people are going to know there's something different about you. You're a weird Gal, yeah, I'm weird because Jesus has changed me. He has radically, radically changed me. 
And I have a distinctive life because of that. All right, now, knock on the door of people's lives to be a part of God's working. How do we know what God is doing? How do we know where He's working so we can be a part of it? That's part of the key of the whole deal here. That's part of what we have to get good at. And I just want to say there's no efficient way to do this. So all you efficiency experts, just throw that in the trash can. Because He doesn't want us to be dependent upon systems. He wants us to live dependently upon He who is doing the good work in other people's lives. And this is where the intersection of our part in someone being saved and what God is doing intersects. Because you can learn, I can learn the best gospel presentation, and if God isn't working in a person's heart, they will not get sanctified. They will not become convinced. It is not up to me. Thankfully, God has not left that in any of our hands. That is His work. But He has included us in this to be a participant in this by bringing the gospel, by bringing the word, by living a distinctive life. So how do we know? We have to knock on the door. We have to try to figure out what God is doing so we can cooperate with us. This requires vulnerability on our parts. This requires sometimes looking like the idiot even though we're not. It just requires great vulnerability. Jesus was having a conversation one night with a very religious, educated person. He was a leader, Nicodemus by name. And Nicodemus was getting super frustrated about what Jesus was saying, because quite frankly, Nicodemus didn't have a box to put all this in. He didn't know what God was doing. He didn't know that God was sanctifying him. He didn't know that he was going to get born again. He didn't even know what the word meant. And so, in his frustration, Jesus tells him this. He says, Nicodemus, here's what's going on. Can you go to the next slide there? In John chapter 3, Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know what he said to Nicodemus? He says, God the Spirit works in ways you don't know where he's coming from and you don't know where he's going. All you can do is notice what he's doing right now and cooperate with it. And Nicodemus, the Spirit's working in your life, and you want to know where He's coming from and where it's going. Yeah, you're not going to know. And so the Spirit's work is like the physical wind. A few days ago, I flew to Denver, and uh, as we taxied at John Wayne Airport, we lined up at the opposite end of the runway than ever before for me. Why? You know why. Santa Ana winds were blowing. Now, why? I mean, we, we can do a lot of things in this world. Why don't they just change the direction of the wind? Because it's too big. You can't manipulate the wind. Can't manipulate God the Spirit either. What He's up to is holy. 
and he will not be manipulated. Why don't we just put more power into it and power through? Right in the pilot. Just say, I'll give him more power because he doesn't have enough power and you'd be attending my memorial service right now. <laughs> you don't fight against the wind and win. You don't fight against the Spirit of God and win. You cooperate with the Spirit and it multiplies. And the plane took off the other direction and because of the wind it actually has more left than it would have if there's no wind. Jesus says that's the Spirit of God. That's what it means. Figure out what the Spirit of God is doing. Enter into at that moment. You don't have to know what's happened before. You don't have to know what's going to happen afterwards. Enter at the moment. Cooperate with what He's doing. And He will do what He's doing. And you get to be a part of it. And there's a multiplying effect that takes place to His glory and for the good of the people. And so... Our job is to figure out what God is doing. Now, we can never use the excuse, I don't know what God is doing. I mean, we've all said that, and to some extent, it's always true. But when it comes to knocking on the doors of people's life or putting up a windsock, right, that's what they use at airports, we just can't use the excuse, I don't know. We have to put up the windsock. We have to put up or we have to knock on the door of people's lives. There's three verses in Ecclesiastes here. Would you go on to the next one there? Thank you. Whoops, back. Th these are fascinating. Let's, let's, let's read it. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he will not look at the clouds, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, that's a great comparison, isn't it? So you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. So your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. Now what's this addressing? It's addressing Followers of Jesus who say, I just don't know how to figure out what's going on in, in people's life, and I don't want to take any risk, so I just won't sow any seeds. I just won't knock on their doors. I won't put the wind socks up. I'm not going to try to figure it out to be a part of it. I mean, that's what it says, right? Oh, the wind's blowing the wrong way. I can't, I can't plant any seeds. Oh, the clouds are coming. I better not plant. I mean, some people are always looking for excuses. And the point of it is, just sow. Just, just be a part. And who knows? God might cause the seed that was sown during the rainstorm or the windstorm to grow. He might cause it all to grow. That's His deal. But we have to be faithful to knock on the door and to sow. So, how did Jesus do this? I mean, if you read through the Gospels, what you're doing is you're watching Jesus knock on the lives of people. Now, granted, he had an infinite advantage, right? A perfect relationship with his Father and a perfect relationship with the Spirit. And so, we won't look at him this morning. But we do want to look at how he sent the disciples out. So, turn over to Luke chapter 9. And then we won't go to those other ones this morning. But Luke chapter 9. 
the very first time. He sends people out to bring the gospel to people, to bring the word to people, to bring news of the kingdom of God. However you want to say it, he sends out the twelve in Luke chapter 9. Beginning of verse 1, he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's, that's what the Jews would have understood as the gospel. And to perform healing. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither a staff nor bag nor bread nor money, and do not even have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. Now what is Jesus doing here? Why is he doing this? Because followers of Jesus get really courageous when there's something in it for them. It's amazing how if you have no way to keep warm at night, and you have no food to eat, and you have no motel reservations, how you'll get really courageous on knocking on the doors of people, seeing if the God is at work in their life. He just puts them in a dependent situation to figure out where he's working. And God worked in a way so that the homes where he was working would invite them in. And then he says, stay there and tell them about the kingdom of God. I mean, the first 12 disciples were just like you and me. And so he put them in a, in a dependent situation so that they would have the guts enough out of self-preservation to get into the places where God's working to share the gospel. <laughs> what a plan! Does the same thing with the 70. Luke chapter 10. Flip over there. Let's jump into verse 3. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's a great encouragement. Carry no muddy belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. That's the way they were to knock on the door. That's the way they were put the windsock up to figure out where the Spirit of God was working. Whatever house you enter, in other words, oh, no, verse 6, I'm sorry. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. If, if they cuss you out for being there, just move on. God's not working there. Don't get real concerned about it. The point is to figure out where the Spirit of God is working and be a part of what He's doing. And where the Spirit of God is working, a person of peace will invite you in. Verse 7, stay in that house. Don't be looking for a better place. Eating and drinking what they give you for the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Why? That's where God is working. And as uncomfortable as it may be, as out of your league as you may feel, stay there. Because where God works, He can use anybody who will be faithful to Him. Well, we could go through and watch this transition in, in the book of Acts, and here's what we'll constantly see. We'll see these dynamics at play. 
will see that they kept looking on the fields and seeing the harvest. It didn't make any difference if it was Peter and John in front of the religious leaders who were attacking them and criticizing them and having full authority. They just had a sense that there was a harvest amongst those religious leaders. Didn't make any difference if it was Paul in front of, of, of the king and the Roman rulers. He just believed that there was there was a harvest there, or sitting in prison in Philippians. He just believed there was a harvest there. They just always were looking at the fields, believing there was a harvest there. And they praised God that they had the life-changing good news. They had good news. So when the jail collapses and it looks like all the prisoners released, and the jailer's about to take his own life, what do they say? Do they run to save their own skins? No, they share the gospel with the jailer so he might live eternally. And so pray knowing that God is at work saving people. And live in Christ filled with the Spirit, bearing fruits of the Spirit. Knocking on the doors of people's life. Find out what God is doing there. Find out what He's doing. And be a part of what He is doing. And so today it's our turn. Today it's our turn. It's our turn to look on the fields and see the harvest. See the harvest. That will take a conscientious effort for many of us. See the harvest. Talk about the harvest. Praise God. Make it a regular part of your praise time that we have life-changing good news. It's good news that the Spirit will be used to bring dead people to life. Pray knowing that God is at work saving people. Live a distinctive life in Christ. Letting the fruits of the Spirit manifest themselves in a world that has the opposite fruits. And keep knocking on the door of people's lives to be a part of what God is doing. There's so many ways to do this. It's an infinite number. And the Spirit of God gives us wisdom. Let me just share a few things with you that I've learned from over the years. I still remember uh, Bill Deming, who pastored this church so well before I came, and then moved into the hospital chaplaincy. Bill knocked on doors like crazy. I mean, I always was jealous of the way that he would knock on the doors of people's hearts. And I still remember him saying, you know, when I'm in the hospital and I get on the elevator and I'm going up, I just simply say, up, down, someday I'll go up and never come down. <laughs> Knocking on the door. I mean, you talk about violating elevator etiquette. <laughs> Someone in there may just say, what are you talking about? Oh, the Spirit of God's working in your life. Now we get to have a little further conversation and see how far God wants to take it. Often it's just acts of kindness and gifts, isn't it? Taking something from the missionary bake sale to our neighbors, or baking some goodies or some gift, just totally surprising people that you're even thinking about them, and that you would spend your time and energy doing something for them. Questions are always good. Just ask people about themselves. Hardly well, just about everybody likes to talk about themselves. Have you noticed this? 
just ask them about themselves. And, and typically, it's kind of like we, uh, the dam is broken. How do I control this now? Well, at some point, you can say, so tell me about your spiritual journey. It's one of the most helpful questions I've ever learned. Tell me about your spiritual journey. Tell me what, about what you believe. You and I don't need to be experts in what people believe because there's so many different nuances and stuff. You can be an expert in a particular religion and somebody within that religion won't even believe everything in the religion and there's no sense us lecturing them on what their religion believes if they don't believe it. Just enter in where they are, just ask them. Now here's a key, when you ask people questions, don't spend the time forming what you're gonna say, listen to them. Listen to them. The Spirit of God's been at this for a long time. He can tell you exactly what to say in the moment. This has been a hard lesson for me to learn. Because what happens is, is we don't listen to them, and then what we say just does this. And quite frankly, it was totally probably of our flesh that we were so freaked out about what we were going to say. And so just listen to them, and as you're listening, say, Spirit of God, help me to know what to say. Oh, and he, it's kind of, I, I think he's just like this. Please ask, please ask. Okay, you ask, here's what to do. You're not going to screw this one up. You ask me to be involved. And so just ask, just ask. Somewhere in there, it's always good to move them to the Scriptures. I mean, the Romans road is something we learned for years, right? Mark it in your Bible, take people through it. The Gospel of John. Tom's handing those out again. Discovery Bible studies. Would you like to study the Scriptures together? I mean, if, some, if you ask someone, would you like to study the Scriptures together, and they say yes, what do you know for sure? God's working. God's working. And you may say, oh, they look like a difficult person. No, stay in that house. I mean, for crying out loud, what are you doing? Looking for the ideal setup? I mean, every once in a while they come, but just stay where God is working and go and see what He might do. Invite them to church. Invite them to the relationship class. I mean, they may share about how, how they've hurt people. Say, we're doing this class at church. Why don't you come? I'll, go, I'll come with you. you. Might invite them to the outreach service. We're going to have one on April 6th where Ted and Don Pappas are going to share. Invite them to the women's retreats, whatever. Here's the point. We have to knock on the doors. We have to knock on the doors. We're not smart enough to know what the Spirit of God is doing unless we knock on the doors. It's kind of like thinking, you know, how much oil is in your car without checking the dipstick. you got to knock on the door. And so let's just... Well, there's two more here. Let me give them to you real fast. I'll just mention them. Embrace lots of sowing, watering, weeding, and developing people. Just know it's going to take a lot of that. Don't be surprised by that. That's the whole purpose. We're alive. And change our definition of success and failure. I think one of the great challenges for us who grew up in the church or have been in the church for a long time, like I have, is we have to change our definition of success and failure. Success doesn't mean that when you share the gospel, someone gets saved every time. Success means that we're just faithful to that part that God has called us to be a part of. 
And it could be sowing, it could be watering, it could be weeding, it could be any number of those things. So what does success look like? This is what it looks like. That's what it looks like. So here's what I want to ask each of us to do. I want us just to, to, to use this right now for our response to God. And so I want you to look on the fields that are around you, your neighbors, the place you work, the place you're going to school, uh, whatever that might be. And I, I want to I just ask you to, to see those as fields where there is a harvest. And then just praise God. So just work your way down through all of those as we come to the Lord's table. But let's spend about three minutes doing that. So just go ahead. You might want to look up there at the, at the screen, but just walk your way down those in response to the Lord this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this high calling that you've placed upon every one of our lives who are followers of you to spend our hours and our days in all of the different things that you call us to be a part of, ultimately developing other people to be devoted followers of yours. And so, Lord, you know the area in each of our lives that we need to grow in. Thank you for your competency to grow us in that particular area. Lord, we just say to you as a body of believers, we want to be part of bringing in your harvest. We want other people to have this salvation that we currently have. And so keep encouraging us, keep mobilizing us to that end. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.